Hey there, Bookalicious people. So Candy and I got a little excited talking about the Barbie movie and some of the crazy Barbies we grew up with. So if you're here for the banter, you're in for a treat today. If you're here for Elantris, however, your fun starts at minute 21. Wherever you start listening, though, we're glad you're joining our book club and hope you enjoy this episode. Um, okay, so school started back up. Yeah, school started for me last week, and it was super fun. There are a lot of extra meetings and things of like, get to know you, and mm-hmm. we have a party, and we had a painting party where we had to paint something related to our research. So anyways, it's been a fun time. Did you paint um, a boob? <laughs> <laughs> I considered it. <laughs> so Chrissy's research last I checked was about the breast cancer gene. Yeah, yeah. It's about <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did look up breast cancer art and there were a lot of boobs. And I considered it, but I was like, honestly, I can't draw that well. And this isn't going to look good. And it's going to hang up in like the bio conference room where they have meetings. And I just don't think that's what they're going for. So anyways, everyone else was painting like fish because they're researching fish. And I was like, that's a nice thing to draw. Yeah. A bacteria. But I was like, how do I draw this? So anyways, so I drew a statistic. (laughs) Everyone was like, what the heck? What's a statistic? So the statistic is if you have a mutation in your breast cancer gene, BRCA1, then, oh wait, okay. So the, the statistic is that if for a woman in the general population, she has about a 13% risk of developing breast cancer over her lifetime. But if you okay. have a mutation in BRCA1, then your risk jumps to like 55 to 72%. Oh, shoot. I know. So I, my statistic, how I represented this was I had all these like little women stick figures and the first line has just one painted pink and the second line has like five painted pink. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. If you do this again though, so I've always used the cupcake emoji as a representation of a boob. What? (laughs) Because I feel like it looks like if, you're not looking at a boob like head on, but if the person's like laying down and I guess if they have like implants because they're very like round, but you have like the little cherry on top and I feel like that's like, you know, the nip. I guess you're right. And so that's what I've always used. So I feel like you could, if everyone's doing fish, you could do little cupcakes, two cupcakes. <laughs> what does that represent? I'll say, just think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> like have you recently looked at the cupcake emoji no I haven't I I don't think I've ever used the cupcake emoji so this is really opening up a whole new <laughs> new window here let's see okay and it's yeah maybe maybe it's not the cupcake the one that I have on my phone it has like a cherry on top maybe it's a sundae that's very oblong <laughs> Is that the right word? It's like really elongated. Yeah, it's it's an erect nip (laughs) for sure. (laughs) But I feel like I feel like you can use it. I'm trying to see if I can find the right one. I don't know if I have any with a cherry on top. Well, maybe that's just something that droids have. 
<laughs> that you iPhone users don't experience here. Here's these have faces on it, but this is kind of like what mine look like. So it's like pink and it has like a big circle for the cupcake part. And then it has a little cherry on top. Oh my gosh. There's even like a little hair. <laughs> little cherry stuff. Uh, yeah. So maybe I would emit the omit the little stem. <laughs> then the rest would here's another one. I I just I think there's opportunity there. You might need I, to flesh it out a little more. I see what you're saying. There there's definitely I could go somewhere with this. Yeah. A new form of visual art for breast cancer research. You know what I did learn though, this reminded me of have you seen the Barbie movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all they had like all these different references to different types of Barbies. Did you know those are actually all real Barbies? Yeah, girl. Did you had had you ever known about Grow Up Skipper before? I had to Google all of these. So I did I did the probably similar research that yeah. you did. Okay. Well, Grow Up with the, your your whole thing about cupcakes and erect cupcakes <laughs> <laughs> reminded me of Grow Up Skipper. Like I can't believe that's actually a Barbie. So, okay, so what was Grow Up Skipper? I don't think I looked her up. Oh, she is. I just Googled it. Grow, growing Up Skipper dash growing breasts. Oh, my. I know. You, like, turn her arm around and her torso elongates, and then she matures. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to watch the demo right now. Oh, my gosh. So I'm seeing that her torso gets elongated, but her little boobies don't get very big at all. They They don't. She's still trying to keep her realistic. The tag for her, she's two dolls in one for twice as much fun. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Uh, oh my God. Sugar Daddy Ken really got me though. He's not real. He is real. No. He's real. And they made Sugar Daddy Ken and they were like, Mattel, you can't do that. That's weird. And they were like, what? He has a dog named Sugar. And he's Sugar's daddy. What's weird about that? <laughs> oh my god! How did this get through PR? Oh my god! It says Ken's flamboyant ensemble seemingly references Slim Aaron's Palm Springs party. I don't even know what that Ooh. is. We're not cultured enough. Oh, so it's from some movie. Oh, it is. Hmm. I guess that makes more sense. Well, what what happened in the movie? Was it a guy with a dog named? I think they just lifted the clothes, the style. Oh. From okay. some guy in a movie. So now I need to look at what a sugar daddy can look like in the, the Barbie movie. Oh my gosh. Do you know when Sugar Daddy was released? Looking at his clothes, probably the 80s. No. 2009 <gasps> at least that's when this article is published and it's talking about sugar daddy as if it was just released so i think no 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 that's when the internet was new and people were like learning that you could google things and write articles about them i don't know let, let, let's look it up sugar daddy's ken was released as part of barbie's 50th anniversary 
Yeah. No. Oh, it was in 2009. The fact that this Sugar Daddy Ken came out in 2009, like during our lifetime, and it, I would have guessed <clears throat> for sure the 80s or, you know, before, like a very, very long time ago. Mm-hmm. I just think that represents how far like women have come in terms of like rights and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and things like that. Yeah. In a very short time, considering that was 2009. Right. Exactly. Cause like that would not fly today at all. No, no, because I think it, it just seems to like represent a lot of like that male guy taking care of the lady and her being used as like an object which maybe that's maybe that's not right I don't know the sugar daddy Ken I feel like that I don't know what okay why does sugar sugar daddy Ken give you the ick mainly his name sugar daddy I feel like he's going for all the Kellys in the Barbie world (laughs) that's the vibe I get oh okay you okay you feel like he's like predatory he's going after grow up skipper (laughs) (laughs) i mean those were kind of the vibes i was getting okay i can see that i can see that what does sugar daddy translate to well to me when i'm thinking sugar daddy i'm thinking of a woman who uses her physical appearance to get money and be supported and is typically stereotyped as like not very smart Mm -hmm. and kind of trades her physical appearance for money which some people do that and that's totally fine if that's what you want to do um I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there's nothing wrong with it. With Sugar Daddy it does. Daddy. I don't know. Mm. Let's see why people were upset about it in 2009. So Sugar Daddy definition, according to dictionary.com, so apparently this is on here. <laughs> and it's on Britannica. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty similar. So Britannica says a rich older man who gives money, gifts, et cetera, to someone such as a young woman in exchange for sex and friendship, et cetera. So I feel like Sugar Daddy kind of has the the moral badness on the daddy part of like he's wooing and swaying vulnerable, especially young women in a bad direction. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I would say with the sugar daddy thing is that some, from what I know, some women do that and they like it and it works out for them. And like, you're free to do that. It makes me, it does make me feel like kind of, ooh, to try to like, I don't know, glorify that, maybe to like, young girls I don't know there's something there yeah I I get that that you're free to do what you want but also it's like this isn't a fulfilling kind of relationship even if you're getting some things out of it it's like you deserve more there's better things for you yeah that's my take 
Oh, do you remember Pregnant Midge? We had Pregnant Midge. What? We did? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Are you sure we did? Yeah. I'm going to show you this this outfit that she had, and you're going to be like, yep, we had that. Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. Did we still have the Barbie, though? Because I think probably I do remember a pregnant dress. Yeah. (gasps) No way. Okay, but did we have Midge? I wonder if we just got the dress from like a hand-me-down thing. No, we had Midge. We had Midge because remember I did that thing with the twins? Oh, I don't know. (gasps) Okay. I used to make like weird Barbie stories and my one Barbie stories because we had one like Midge and I don't know if you can make her not pregnant or something or she was always pregnant. Oh my gosh, maybe we did have this. Yeah, and so what <gasps> I did, we had two of them, and one one was, like, married to the guy. They were actually both married to the guy at first, oh and one God. lived in the basement, and they would alternate, and the guy didn't know what? that it was two twins married to him, and then one of the twins got pregnant, so she had to be stuck in the basement for, like, a long time. And then she got like really mad about it. And then she, I think she killed some people at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) And so I remember that story, but I did not realize that it was pregnant Midge. I wonder if they changed pregnant Midge because maybe she, I don't know. Because some of these pictures of like, did you see the picture when you can just see the baby in the belly and you take off like the pregnant part. That was a different one. It was a different kind of Barbie. Mm -hmm. That was like even longer ago. Oh, I see. And they're probably like pregnant Midge is going to do awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it had a removable belly. Oh my gosh. But you couldn't put the belly. You couldn't put the baby in the belly for ours. No. Okay. No, you could. So there was one where it was like the baby was inside the Barbie. Okay. We definitely had this doll. Yeah, I remember because she had the magnets. Oh my gosh, it is kind of coming back to me. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And she, oh my God. We had pregnant Midge. So maybe we just had two pregnant Midges. Of course we did. And one one lives in the basement with the belly on. Oh my god. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you this and you're gonna see the little um the whole setup. It's gonna come to you. Oh my god. Because she had a little crib. Oh no, the crib is very familiar. Yeah. And that little baby. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Cause I watched that movie, I was like, pregnant Midge, how insane. We had her. It was us. Oh my gosh. It is all coming back. Yeah. Wow. We'll need to look back because mom still has all the Barbies for all the grandkids. Oh my God. Our pregnant midges. Oh Oh my my God. Wow. This is, this is pretty wild. See, this is the other one that I was talking about where the, Barbie didn't have a pregnant belly. She just had a hole where her organ should be. And then they put the baby in there. 
So she could still be thin. Oh, she <laughs> fit all her clothes. <laughs> you guys see that? This one is the disturbing one where it's like, oh my gosh. Like, how did you make that and say like, kids are going to love this? I don't know. But yeah, updated Midge, that looks familiar. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so pregnant Midge, the big problem with her is that they only gave her one dress to wear. Oh, one pregnancy. And then she wouldn't fit in any of her other clothes. But the stomach was removable, right? Yeah, the stomach was removable. But like, if you wanted her to be pregnant, she had to wear her one little outfit. Yeah, her little nightgown dress. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well... That was her childhood. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. Yeah, that that is mind boggling. Oh my God. Here is knockoff Barbie. Knockoff Walmart pregnant Barbie. No way. Which like you think Barbie's like freaky. Wait till you see the Walmart one. I don't even know if this is real, but this Barbie, she is emaciated not only does she have a thigh gap but it's like two feet in between oh my gosh whoa especially this picture so the baby the the hole within the barbie isn't even big enough for the baby so you have to like slide it in there and the way this picture is you can like see the baby but only like one eye it's kind of just like look giving you the side eye (laughs) oh my god okay so it it is real it's for nine dollars that seems like too much. Walmart. Her legs are really like the freakiest part of this are her legs. Yeah. Like, cause I mean Barbie's got Barbie's got some thin legs, but this girl, like <laughs> not even thick enough just for her bones. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't even support her as a plastic Barbie. <laughs> yeah, let alone her and her baby. Oh my wow. gosh. We'll have to drop some of these in our description or something somehow. I don't know if we should paint other people with these. <laughs> people will want to know. They'll be curious. Yeah, we, should, we should put them in. Yeah. We'll just put some links. To the cupcake. To the Barbies. Yeah. Let us know. Did you play with Pregnant Midge? Yeah. Who else had Pregnant Midge? What and- were your Barbie stories? Yeah, did you did you have two of them and did one live in the basement? Oh Ooh. my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fundamental problem with Barbie is that there was just so, so many Barbies and not enough Kens <laughs> that it really did encourage some level of polygamy. <laughs> Cuz there just there wasn't enough Kens to go around. There weren't. Or, like, unhealthy competition or something, because we all wanted the one Ken. Yeah, yeah, because, like, we couldn't even get, like, enough Kens for all of the people playing in the story. Because <laughs> we had, like, three Kens, and one of them was always, like, the worst Ken. <laughs> and no one wanted him, so then it's like, you want one of the top two Kens, but then you have, like, 45 Barbies. <laughs> So it was like, it really did become this ridiculous, like fashion show contest. (laughs) Who can do the most to get the Ken? (laughs) 
<laughs> and with pregnant Midge, I guess they just they're like, we'll just share. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, there's no there's no dad Ken, the dad bod. Maybe that's the next thing to come out. Dad, dad bod, bod Ken. Ken. Although the dad in the picture of with Barbie Midge, she um he had a camera around his neck, like one of the ones with like the lanyard. Like he's about to, you know, go on vacation and catch some good family photos. Oh my god. So okay, so Mattel reveals dad bod and man bun candles. You're joking. Nope. (laughs) They already made it. They yeah, I guess they someone submitted their story. Beer belly broby anyone? Oh my gosh. Oh my god. This this dad bod that I'm looking at, he still has abs. <laughs> it looks it looks like they got because he's plastic. It looks like they got a flame torch and melted him. So he just became wider. Oh, I see what you're saying. It does. Oh my god. Okay. All <laughs> right. It just looks so disproportionate to everything else. Yeah. Wow. Well, our Barbie stories would be a lot different with Dad Bod Ken. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, now that we've wasted 30 minutes. (laughs) Let's get on to our two-hour episode. Let's, yeah, let's start this two-hour episode that we've been talking about condensing. (laughs) On that note, welcome to Bookalicious, a podcast where two sisters chat about books we're reading and Barbie dolls that we used to play with and didn't realize how <laughs> concerning they were. <laughs> Share your stories. <laughs> I'm Chrissy. And I'm Candace. And today we are continuing our conversation on the Lantris. Surprise, surprise. And mm-hmm. we are picking up on a super um, meaty chapter. That may take an hour in itself. Maybe not. I don't know. In these chapters, so much happens. I honestly don't have a lot of notes because it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Big scene. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. Whoa. This chapter is 15 pages. Normally a chapter is three. Is it really? For my book. Wow. So this is chapter 32, right? Yeah. Wow, is it really that long? I believe it. I mean, a lot happens. And it's Serene's, so it's Serene's chapter and her chapters tend to be longer. And in this one, she like goes to five different places and (laughs) (laughs) uncovers all these details. Oh, wow. Mine is, let's see, 62 to 80. That's 18 pages. Yeah. Mine's 18 pages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's think about how this chapter is broken out okay so in my notes also so this chapter is called aha which means breath or air it's continuing that whole cycle of chapter mm, okay. um and it starts with serene um going to royal's party um that she made him throw so she wants him to throw this big party and she doesn't tell him why and so it starts off there with them going to mm-hmm. that Uh Yeah, so why don't we just start with the summary of the party? And then just to remind everyone where we're at, in the last Serene chapter, she completely um, 
I was gonna say emaciated. That's not it. Oh, um, what do you know? What do you call when you destroy a man? Yeah, emasculate. Emasculate. She completely emasculated the king, Iodin. Iodon. Yeah, she left him in crumbles on his desk, crying himself. Yeah, he crumpled up and basically like he was gonna send all of his guards to Elantris and she's like you are nothing you don't deserve to be king you're the worst here are some facts and she's laid it all out there for him and when it was all presented to him he just fell apart and everyone heard about it and now it's the talk of the town and now not only does everyone know that he only has money because of Serene they also know that Serene is just running circles around him so he is just totally embarrassed yeah and now serene's having like the party of the century <laughs> yeah and she's she's royal's date to this party royal's the guy who's throwing it she's her she's his fancy date and she's like yes it's totally fine while Iodin is still crumpled on the floor yes and so she has it on is it a wednesday night i think so well, they, she has a, they have different oh. day names here, but I think oh. the idea is that it's a Wednesday. Yeah. So she has it on a Wednesday, and that's important because that's when Serene thinks that Iodin goes out to do his sneaky meetings. Right. Right. So we don't know initially that that's the reason why she wanted this day. Um, It's also oh, okay. like the full moon or something like that that's the color it's like a shooting star something's gonna happen and she's like we have to have it on this night because that's when we can see the moon and it's gonna be outside and also it's gonna be late in the night is another key part because oh yeah yeah Iden's secret meetings happen at night and so we find out that her plan is Iden will be at this party because even though he's been totally demolished he still needs to make an appearance and she also thinks that he'll go to his meeting and she can follow him there and figure out what's going on Yes. All right. So first half at the moon party. So in the beginning of the chapter, um, we hear Serene's thoughts about how people perceive her. And whenever she walks Mm -hmm. into a room, people like look away and they like look down and all their conversations stop. Um, And even with the servants, they also like don't want to talk to her. Um, She notices that the servant women still are bringing her food late. And she says it's because like, oh, we're short staff. But Serene's like, it's because they hate me. And then she has this thought. Why, in the blessed name of Domi, does everyone in this country feel so threatened by an assertive woman? Oh my god, I, I that. Too. Yeah, I know. I was like, my gosh. I thought that was so outrageous because I'm like, Serene, you just like completely annihilated the king. I would be scared of you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like she's Bloody Mary and she just like killed a thousand people. And she's like, people are just upset with an assertive woman who does what needs to be done (laughs) (laughs) you're like no that was mean (laughs) yeah I mean we talked about it last time there it kind of seemed that that's what needed to happen yeah but it's like you kind of have to accept the consequences of that yeah so the next line that I underlined was in relation to that so basically serene's kind of having this pity party for herself where she's like done it again 
I was too assertive and too smart. And now people don't like me and she's moping around. And so they're at the party and Royal is talking to Serene. And he says, Serene, we didn't ask for your leadership. You wiggled your way in and seized control. Now that you've done so, you can't just leave us because of injured feelings. When you accept authority, you must be willing to take responsibility for it at all times, even when you don't particularly feel like it. Oh. And I was like, thank God someone said something. <laughs> I know. I thought I thought that was a good line. Like, yeah, you're right. Kind of like what you were saying. You, you got to take the responsibility when things go well and also when things go terribly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really wise line from Royal. And I have some conspiracy theories about Royal, but that one okay. was a good line. Go for it. What's your conspiracy theory? All right. So some of it comes up in this chapter. Um, like later, the Royal and Serene are walking around and they're like looking at all the people and we're reminded that Royal is one of the most marriageable men. And then he says this line of like, you know, all the women are coming to him or whatever. And then he says this yeah. line. I find far too much enjoyment in playing with their greedy little minds. And I was like, oh, that, that feels like sugar daddy Ken. That's what he would say. Yes, that Royal gives me the ick. And he talked about this too, like his first ball with Serene mm-hmm. when they're like dancing around. And he's like, if they want me for my money, then I'm going to make them work for it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and you're just like gag. And it's like, I... <sighs> I get it where it's like, it is a transaction. If if that's like the agreement that you are in, it is a transaction. But I I think what makes the ick, and I don't know why it doesn't feel as icky from the girl going to the guy as the guy going to the girl. Maybe that's something I need to think about. But it just feels so icky because it's like Royal's just looking at these women as like objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just like sex machines. Right. Yeah. Which is super gross. And to your point, I mean, women are maybe all subjectifying Royal of like, oh, he's just like our money machine, you know? And exactly. Like, both are bad positions to be in. But we just so happen to be seeing Royal's thought process and it's super gross. I guess that's a good point. Like if we saw her and she was just like, oh, he's a disgusting old man, but he'll be dead soon and I'll be able to get all his money. We'd be like, ick too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I- <laughs> So I think going back to the sugar daddy thing, I think what gives me the ick is just the objectifying of people. Mm -hmm. And to me, I feel like it it does kind of go both ways now, but still with the caveat that like if both people are willingly agreeing to that contract, right, then that's something that like you're free to do Mm -hmm. and that's okay but it can still give me the ick. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. Which that we, we do see maybe a little bit of a, je- a good amount of objectifying in the book because Harathan is using the Elantrians as little pawns in his whole scheme too. You know, like, yeah. I love that. But that's an interesting point. Yeah. Where you have like these people with power using others as like objects and pawns and things yeah and maybe with the sugar daddy thing the other thing that also gives me more ick on the sugar daddy side versus the atm machine side is that i do think there is a slight power imbalance 
with the money machine. Yeah. So. Right. And it, and it's like, do you have consent when there's that much power imbalance? Or Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think it's so easy for it to start off as, oh, this is an arrangement. This is an arrangement. And then for you to get entrenched to a point where it's like, okay, I was, a, I was comfortable with it on levels one, two, and three, but now we're kind of progressing to a point where I'm like, I'm not really comfortable with this anymore. Yeah. And now I'm kind of like stuck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer uh, an agreement, but an expectation that you don't want to be a part of. Yeah. And I think the other part too, is that like sex is, you know, it is like a human desire and some would say like a need, but in terms of like your hierarchy of needs, you need money before you need sex. Yeah. And so it's like the goods that are being exchanged are not like super equivalent. I feel like. Oh, I see. And it's easier. Like if you're kind of like, well, I need money because I need food. You're kind of stuck with this person. I see what you're saying. Right. But Royal could go, he could go out to any old girl. It seems like. Yeah. And get the, get the enjoyment he's looking for. Yeah. He can go and get like, there's like a lot of options for him, but there's not a lot of options for the women who are offering this maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I feel like that kind of adds to like the power imbalance and like the ick to it all. Yeah. Okay. So do we think Royal is super ick? Because Serene doesn't seem to think Royal is super ick. Because Serene has her own money. Mm. She knows she's not being, could be, she knows she couldn't be used by Royal. Not in that way. Not in that way. Mm. I think, I think Royal, I give him the stamp of ick. What do you give? (laughs) okay well this was my whole conspiracy theory is that royal yes so this led in perfectly um that royal seems to be this good guy and he's the one who let serene into the boys club because he gave Mm -hmm. her his stamp of approval and then everyone else was like okay well if royal says so then sure but i don't think you can have a good character who has these major uh, flaws that Mm. are things that he's like working on but it's just like that's just gross kind of thing like I don't think you would write a character who ends up being good who has those gross qualities and Mm -hmm. throughout this we've noticed I forget exactly where but we've thought that there's some secret spy going on and I think a leak a leak and I think royal is the leak because also royal I think we already know this by now royal was there when Iodin was first king or something and he was on his side Mm -hmm. But then Royal mm-hmm. was like, oh, never mind. This isn't good. And so then he like left. But I think he never really left. And I think mm-hmm. he's still secret spy for Iodin. And maybe he was even behind um, Rayodin getting taken by the Shayad or whatever it's called. Oh, interesting. I think I think Royal, he he's the villain here. Okay, so devil's advocate what if royal doesn't really feel these things because we don't get his inner monologue Mm -hmm. we just get what he's saying and what if he feels 
a certain way about all of these women clamoring onto him and he knows that they're just trying to use him for his money. And so he makes these comments to try to put himself in a position of strength versus kind of being like preyed upon. And the only reason why I say that maybe he's just saying that, but doesn't feel like that, like doesn't feel that is because he hasn't acted on any of these suggestions. That is true. And I could see that he's maybe similar to Serene in that respect of distancing himself from his emotions. And he like mm-hmm. people used and he's like, I'm going to play it off as like, oh, I'm using them too. But really, like, yeah, this guy and doesn't want that. I could see that. But I feel in my mind, I feel like if the author wanted us to pick up on that, there would be a detail of like Royal said, I'm just using them or whatever. Ha ha ha. But Serene could tell there was a glimmer of sadness in his eye or something. I think he does say that later yes. on. No way. Um, <laughs> We won't get to this chapter. But just, just remind me when we get there. I think I maybe know the point you're talking about. But maybe he's a really good actor. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. But right now in this stage of the game, what we know, I'm giving him ick. And you're giving him mole. What does that mean? He's a mole. Oh. <laughs> like a leak. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving him mole, even though I used to like him. think he's a mole. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he did give good advice. So maybe you can be icky and you can be a mole, but you can also give good advice. Yeah, they're very nuanced characters. Yes. So Royal said another thing shortly after that, um, after that line that I highlighted and Royal said to Serene, we've come to rely on you so much in these last few weeks. You've crept into our hearts and did what no one else, even myself could have done. You unified us. And then he goes on and he just like talks about how great she is. And then he concludes his thought with saying, don't leave us now. We need you. So I think it's interesting that he said, you did what no one else, even myself, and I'm inferring maybe even Rayodin. Yeah. And she unified them. Whoa. Yeah, I know. I, I highlighted that one too. At least it, I mentally did because, again, this is my library book that is now overdue. <laughs> oh, no. But anyway, um, yeah, I underlined that one too. And I think that it reminded me of you know, if this book is about living out your purpose and how that is very important to, you know, your life fulfillment or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Rayodin has been very unsatisfied in Elantris. I think it's because his purpose isn't to lead people, even though that's, you know, he's a prince and whatever. And so he's trying to lead Royal and the guys club. But even though he was great, he wasn't, he wasn't the best fit maybe. And now Serene's coming and her purpose is to lead. And so she's like, Mm kind of naturally was able to unify everybody. Yeah, she was able to do it in three weeks and Iodin had his whole life, or not Iodin, Rayodin had his whole life and they were still kind of waffling on what to do. Right, yeah. She's got something special. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, I also, so one of the lines in that paragraph is that um, Ro- Royal tells her, Shudin and Iandel all but worship you and blah, blah, everyone likes you. And I thought that was a... Uh, a a point for serene being an unreliable narrator because we had just heard her say like oh nobody likes me they all look away when i walk into the room which maybe is true 
but also she is very adored and respected by at least the guys club who knows her and probably others yeah i think i think it does go a little bit into the unreliable narrator part i agree with that but i could easily see how her next conclusion would be they worship me therefore i am separate yeah that's true too because she does seem to say that a lot where she's like they respect me but they don't like think that i'm equal with them i'm like separate yeah that that's a good point too right no one's trying to woo her and court her around yeah but i do think that that is a good point where it's like royal saying like you have all these people who are like in your corner and they support you and they think you're great and they think you're awesome and they're thinking you're doing such a good job and she's just kind of like focusing on this one aspect of that which is like they think i'm better than them and like blah 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 blah. and she kind of goes like off on a tangent so i i think you're right where she's not accepting the full perspective she's just zeroing in on this one thing that she has an insecurity about yeah which i think also goes along with she's been trying to distance herself from her emotions but you really can't do that because if you're to look at things objectively it's like wow objectively you're doing so good serene but it's like but emotionally things are not going well And that's kind of becomes her, the only thing she focuses on, even though she tries to distance herself from the emotional part. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's all connected there. Mm -hmm. Okay. My next line, I think is a little pages after. So what's your next thing? So I always find it interesting with perspective books when characters when like a different characters see other characters Mm -hmm. so basically it's like you have serene's narrative of how she views herself but how does rathen look at her how does rayodin look at her yeah and that's always interesting to me because there's always like slight differences and so we see we see um diloff come in our favorite and and so we see serene's perception of him and so she says inside was a short man dressed completely in red serene recognized the young aeonic priest who had served as hrathen's assistant and serene underestimates diloff so royal says i think we may have traded hrathen for a foe of equal danger and she says, him? Serene said with surprise. She'd see the young man with Hrathen, of course, even remarked on his apparent apparent fervor. However, he could hardly be as dangerous as the calculating Jorn, could he? And so here's Serene thinking like, oh, well, this Diloff guy, he doesn't have the status of Jorn. So he couldn't possibly be as dastardly. Mm-hmm. And she, even though she's seen his hate speeches, but right. she has no idea. <laughs> right yeah and and we see royal again kind of being the wise guy of like no actually you should you should pay attention to him mm-hmm. yes and then the last line that i highlighted was um royal being a wise old man again and he said i've noticed those who turn away from a faith are often more hateful toward it than any outsider could be 
Yeah. And I think that that's uh, very accurate. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think because like if you, I think there's um, a very fine line between love and hate, number mm-hmm. one. So I, I think it's very hard to go from like love, like this is what I believe to neutral. Yeah. And I think for someone to go from love to I'm not going to do this anymore or I'm going to do the exact opposite as in D-Love's case, it is something bad has to happen. Yeah. Some Something somewhere has to happen to where you're kind of like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, And so then whatever that catalyst is that makes you change your perspective you look back at your old way of thinking and it makes you mad. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Also, I mean, you actually know what it is because I think if you kind of vaguely know of something like a religion or something else, it's hard to hate it because you don't even know what it is. But if you are like deeply steeped in something and then you turn away from it, then you're like, oh, yeah, you're exactly right. I turned away from it because of this and this reason. Mm-hmm. And I have like a detailed, I don't know, dislike. Opinion. Right. Opinion. Yeah. So, but what's interesting, I've also heard it said that the opposite of love isn't hate, but it's indifference. So maybe it also makes mm. sense that going from love to hate is an easier transition than from love to indifference. Yes. I would agree with that. But yeah, so now we see Serene and Diloff crossing paths. Um, mm-hmm. we'll see, we'll see what happens. That's kind of it, uh, all that we hear of deal off here. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I have, it's on the next page. It's about the, um, constellations that they're looking at. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So Serene's just like looking outside, it's dark. And then she sees, um, the major aeons as the constellations. And so she said, she sees Rael, which is for Rayodin. Shown directly overhead, a large square with four circles on its side and a dot in the center, and her own Aeon NA crouched barely visible on the horizon. The full moon rose ponderously towards its zenith. Zenith. I'm not sure. Okay. So anyway, I just thought that was like interesting because it's like she's looking and the two the two aeons that she sees over the town is Rayodin and then herself. Yeah, I thought that was sweet. Yeah. It reminded me, do you remember the end of The Princess and the Frog? No. When, it's like the little cricket guy or something. He's like in love with Evangeline. And then at the oh. end, yeah, Evangeline dies. But then she, like, she becomes a star and she's twinkling. He's like, Evangeline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was cute. But um, another point, it could be that Rayodin and Serene are kind of like watching over the place. Mm-hmm. Eat it. Now, you could maybe also take it as for, uh, foreshadowing because it says the full moon. The full moon is coming towards the peak. We're coming to the peak of the book. And oh, yeah. wait a minute. Maybe I'm not reading this right. A full moon rose ponderously towards its zenith. In just a few hours, it would vanish completely. The moon vanishes completely? 
I think so because actually this is an eclipse party. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the okay. Covered. Hmm. I wonder what that means. Okay, okay. So actually, a few chapters ago, we had mentioned how the sun was at its peak and it was like very hot. And every chapter, people were like, oh, it's so hot out here. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we see that. And we could have something with like lightness and darkness here where the light is like, Mm -hmm. here's all the good things happening. And now we're about to see the peak of the darkness happening. Yes. I think there's definitely, if we had more information and time, we could dig that out. But I think there's a lot of imagery there and foreshadowing yeah i think you're right and ian is barely visible on the horizon maybe Mm -hmm. no one sees her coming yeah who knows yeah but yeah that's pretty much all i have for a little bit um it's just kind of like party banter okay yeah so we have a lot of party banter um there's we learn more about the relationships that other people have in this chapter, especially like romantic relationships. And we mm-hmm. also hear some insight on Serene's engagement when she was in Teod. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so we learn that when she was in Teod, she's like, oh, no one wants to marry me. And then she decided that she would pretend to be subservient. And when mm-hmm. she did that, then she got engaged to somebody. But then she was like, oh, my gosh, I can't live my whole life as a lie and pretend to be subservient for the next 80 years. So then she mm-hmm. ended up breaking, up, breaking off her engagement. Um, yeah. And then the man, she said, merely a boy, he had to go into hiding for three years because it was so embarrassing. And then she became a diplomat and then she left the country. And that's how it ended. Yeah. So basically, that was kind of like, you can imagine the most uneligible princess in the whole wide world per Serene. And then this guy takes pity on her and he's like, well, I'll date you. And then he gets broken up by her. And then he's like, oh my God, I have to go into like secret service underground. Yeah. He's like, I was trying to do something nice for you. Now I'm so yeah. embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. The- the flip side of that is if Serene's not a reliable narrator is that maybe Serene was so good at playing the part that he really loved her, who he maybe. saw. And so he was just like really upset about it. That's true. That that could that could be it. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I do think... We, uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I do think though, and this was one of my notes, was wow, that's really sad that all that happened. But also I was like, good for you, Serene, for ending it, because she says um in that paragraph um that she broke up the engagement, not because she knew living with a dull-minded Greyo would have driven her mad, but because she had realized that she was being unfair. She had taken mm-hmm. advantage of his simple ingenuousness. Um and so I was like, that's really hard to do to break off an engagement. And she realized that she was being mean to him and kind of like playing with him. Mm-hmm. And it's better to break off the engagement than to submit both of you to a lifetime of unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also find out that um, one of the cooks is missing, the female cooks. Oh. And, and that's. Because Serene was like, oh, they're making my food late because they hate me. But then you're like, no, they're just actually understaffed. Another 
female cook went missing, which is going to become important in the second half of this chapter. Dun, dun, dun. And then we also find out that all of the lower nobility are like really trying to suck up to the king Iodon because um, one of the people from the boys club, Edon, he who had the chasm land that wasn't doing well, he ran away. Oh, right. So now his plot of land is available. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they're all trying to buy for... So does the king have the power to just give it to somebody? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which it kind of sounds like that's not how it goes and that it should be the person who has the most money. But maybe he can give you the land and then that becomes part of your money. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that the land just becomes the like governments again. And then... Yeah. That could make sense. Put it up for auction or something. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of like the politics that's happening. Royals being a creep. And then Serene is seeing Shudin and um what's her name? Tarena. Yeah, Tarena. And they're just being like lovey lovey, so cute. Even though Shudin had been like, I'm never gonna get married, but Tarena is just so simple minded and just able to capture him with her very averageness, which Serene's like, I wish I too could be average and capture a man. <laughs> right. And Serene is like, so, oh, um, Royal says, it looks like as if your best friend just died. And then she goes, no, just my husband. And you're God. like, but yeah, so Serene is very sad seeing all these happy people. And then we get this wild line later where serene is now seeing lukel and jala her cousin i guess and mm-hmm. and she's also sad again and then royal says you're gonna need to get over that serene you can't go running every time you meet someone who's in a stable relationship <laughs> <laughs> i was just like oh my gosh <laughs> kind of true <laughs> but also i wasn't sure what he meant when he said you need to get over that because i thought he meant you need to get over your husband dying and i was like i mean it's been like three weeks that's pretty- yeah but it's like serene has said she's like i didn't care about this guy i didn't even know him blah, blah, blah. yeah and i think serene's problem is that it kind of seems like she's not so into the prince or any of that it seems like she was just really excited to be able to check this box off and be married. And uh, I feel like she has this idea that once you're married, that you're going to be happy and everything's going to be great and you're going to go to all these parties and your life is just going to be amazing. And she just has this very like naive idea of what it is to be in a long-term committed relationship and be married to someone Mm. I thought it more was like she wants someone who's in her corner no matter what because right now she has to be her own corner all the time yeah I could see that that's kind of more how I took it like she wants someone who's on her side but I I do think I see some of that too of like oversimplifying like uh, I just want to be married because that's what I'm supposed to do and it'll be great Yeah, I I think she's just kind of romanticized a lot of what it's like to be in a relationship. And she just wants that desire. Yeah, that's fair. So that was kind of my take on it, but. Yeah. Okay, so 
we see her seeing all the other people we get um, a weird oh go ahead no no uh what, what's your thing i said we get a weird fat phobia line from sanderson oh yeah that's right when does that happen for me it's page 403 um and so it's royal and then his arch nemesis ahan who's like very round his wife's very round and then their daughter is tarana who's dating shudan right and it says the large count was draped in a yellow robe clutched a plate full of crackers and shellfish his wife's plate however held only a few slices of fruit during the weeks, Sedan, the wife, had been attending Serene's fencing lessons. She had lost considerable weight. And then it kind of goes on. And then um, Ahan is like, um, he's like, actually, you can ask me. Just look what you're doing to my poor wife. She refuses to eat. I'm just enjoying my fruit, Ahan, Sedan says. I think you should try some of it. And then he says, maybe I'll try a plate of it after I'm done here, Han Huff. You see what you're doing, Serene? I would have never have agreed to this, quote, fencing thing if I had known how it would ruin my wife's figure. Ruin? Serene asked with surprise. I'm from South Arlon, princess. And then he talks about how round is beautiful and he doesn't want all of their women to look like starving schoolboys. <laughs> and he says, no offense intended, of course. Oh my gosh. So um Royal is the guy behind Sugar Daddy Ken and Ahan is the guy between I guess he wouldn't be the Walmart Barbie with the dangerously thin legs. He would be I don't know who he'd be. I don't know what Barbie he would be, but I to me, well, maybe it's not fat phobia. Um maybe yeah. that's too strong of a word. No, I got similar vibes. I think it's maybe from like serene's perspective she's like thin is better yeah and then we're seeing from um ahan he's kind of like no he's like i love my big curvy girl right i can look at her she's wasting away yeah i think yeah i think serene being surprised that i think that shows that she does have the assumption that like thinner is better um mm-hmm. but also ahan saying not everyone wants their women to look like starving schoolboys that raises a lot of things too of like no yeah <laughs> and also she just wants to fence and maybe she's not doing it for for how you think of her body you know <laughs> right there there's a lot there that was that tickled me in a bad way yeah i think so too serene's had a few interactions like that though especially with the guys where she's like I forget what Royal had said, but it was something along the lines of like, oh, I might as well make them work for it if they're going to get me for my money. And then Serena like, yeah. was like, ha ha ha, good joke. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of like a pick me girl? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Here, I'll Google it. It's kind of like, honestly, at this point, it's kind of women tearing down women. So I don't love it. Oh, um so pick me girl slang derogatory and usually it's women talking about other women with this which that's what I don't love about it I just think that we just shouldn't worry about it but the what it means a woman who asserts that she is unlike and sometimes better than most women in order to gain attention approval or validation from men okay yeah um what are you guys She's like, I'm not like them. I'm one of you guys. 
and I feel like Serene is pick me girl vibes, which it's like, I hate to say that because like, here I am woman tearing down woman, but yeah, I, I don't could... know how else to describe it. <laughs> I could, I could see some of that. Yeah. Cause it just, and it kind of just seems like Serene just has a very low opinion of other women. Yeah. Yeah. Especially stepping into a place that's very different from her own. And the women have had a different like upbringing than she had and they weren't allowed to fence and stuff. And so she's like, oh my goodness, all they do is sew all day. It's like, well, they're in a different world than where you came from. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So Serene, and I think maybe that's like fundamentally what makes me feel ugh about her is that she kind of gives me these vibes where she's just not supporting other women. And it's like when these men are saying derogatory things whether about being like too thin or too big or this or too this whatever it is she's always like ha 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 like you're so funny yeah she doesn't defend them she joins it yeah and it's like maybe you could say hey I she's been doing a lot of work and she's trying to improve her athletic ability and so that's why she's eating the fruit right right yeah there's a lot of other reactions she could have had yeah, but instead she's just like ruined. Like, oh my God, she's so much more improved. She looks more like me now. Is <laughs> 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 this what you wanted? <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So does Serene have the ick stamp for you? Serene, she's she's kind of giving me the ick. On the as ick as royal? No. Yeah, she she has some more redeeming qualities. I mean, we're getting her inside scoop too, though. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Any other things for the moon party? Um, sour melons come back up. Oh yeah, the sour melons. With Lucal. And we find out that Royal and Lucal went in to get. They went in on it together. And Ahan shook his head, laughing in a low voice. You got me again, Royal, but just you watch. One of these days, I'm finally going to get the better of you. And you'll be so surprised that you won't be able to look at yourself for a week. <laughs> I didn't know entirely what that line meant of like, how would you be so surprised you can't look at yourself for a week? But I thought that was so funny. Like maybe his face will just be Botoxed in place of just shock. <laughs> or or he'll be so disgusted with himself for getting one up that he can't even bear to look at himself i like the botox version because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the image i had in my mind but i'm like but you can still see but his eyes are just like yeah just like so yeah. But yeah, so so Royal and Lucal have been, gone on a vi- business venture. Um, I don't know. Still getting some seedy conspiracy vibes from Royal. Mm-hmm. That's, That's all I had. Um, the last thing that I had is that Ash, who's been keeping tabs on the king, is saying the king's leaving the party. Ah, okay, yeah. So, which leads us to part two of this chapter. Dun, dun, dun. This, this is where things really pick up yeah i mean it already has but anyways yeah so ash comes and he's like the king is leaving and she's like what and then she's like i must go now and royal's like rude the eclipse hasn't even happened and she's like I must yeah go. 
And she doesn't tell anyone where she's going or why she's going, um, but she's going to go follow the king. Yep. And when she gets to his carriage, his little Uber that was going to drive him back home. (laughs) 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 Ash goes and he's like, he's not in that Uber. He walked home. And she was like, (laughs) 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 and so now Serene has to go like run through the forest to go follow King Iodin. And then, and then this was my, my line when I wrote this summary, um, I, uh, (laughs) my summary went, Serene is sad seeing happy couples and stable relationships. Serene skirts out early to follow the king. She's very surprised and there's a lot of poop. (laughs) (laughs) So now we get to the poop part. Yeah. So now that she is on foot twigs in her hair running through the forest after the king <laughs> then then <laughs> eventually the seon slowed returning to serene with an apprehensive bob he just entered the sewers my lady and now serene has gone through the forest the twigs and now she has to crawl into the sewers and then we find out it's full of poop <laughs> that is unfortunate my lady <laughs> 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 oh my gosh okay yeah but serene is determined ash is like this is too much you need to go back home and serene's like i'm doing it so then she starts like tromping through the sewers and uh, um and so then we find out the reason why serene picked the eclipse party because she says because ash is like go back it's like we can do this another time she says no Every week on May Dell, which we're thinking is Wednesday, at 11 o'clock, I hear scrapings in the passages that run through my wall, the one that leads to the king's room. And so she's like, something happened. We got to go. Yeah. And so this is why she had the party to kind of try to ferret um, the king out. Right. Yeah. Um, and then in response to that, the Seon made a slight awe of understanding. Which maybe is a mm-hmm. nod to the chapter title of "Aha," which yep. breath, but also sounds like "Aha, I have found you," or maybe it's in reference to Ahan. That too, Ahan was Ahan made an appearance in this chapter. That's true, and he made a promise to Royal that he's gonna one up him. Whoa, maybe Ahan is the secret spy. Maybe they're both secret spies. That would make a lot of sense. Spies against each other. Yeah, they don't even realize it. And then Serene is like, Ash is like, my lady, don't do this. What good could the king be doing in the sewers at midnight? And Serene, that is exactly what I intend to find out. And then she, as she's like going through and like imagining what could the king be doing, she said, perhaps Prince Rayodin lived. Maybe Iodon hadn't confined him to the dungeons, but in the sewers. Serene might not be a widow after all. She's obsessed with being married. I know, but she, yeah. She's crawling through poop and she's like, maybe I'm not a widow. <laughs> Serene. Okay. And then then she hears voices. And then she doesn't notice that there's a drop. She waved her desperate arms, barely stabilizing herself as she slid a few feet down the incline and came to a halt at the bottom. And then Serene looked up slowly. And King Iodin stared back, looking as stunned as she felt. What did she find? 
merciful Domi, Serene whispered. The king stood facing her behind an altar, a red streaked knife raised in his hand. He was completely naked, except for the blood smeared on his chest. The remains of an eviscerated young woman lay tied to the altar. Her torso sliced open from neck to crotch. I was like, what? This was just such a turn from anything else I've read in this book. Like yeah, I know. No, no violence, no like goriness. And this isn't gory, really. Like it's just a statement. But still, I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. And clearly Serene is stunned and Aiden is also stunned to see her there. Yes. So we're all stunned in this moment. Um, but she also notices that he has like a whole troop of men behind him in black robes and they have Duladin runes sewn into their clothing. And mm-hmm. Duladel is where Galadin is from. Um, mm-hmm. And we find out in this chapter two is where the Jeska religion is and that what um, Aiden is doing is this Jesker sacrifice. It's the mysteries. Galadin would be very upset that you just confused the two. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I even had this in my notes. Right, so Jesker is a religion, and then the mysteries are like, uh, I don't know, perversion? A perversion subset. And so he's doing the mystery part. Um, But what makes this even crazier is that not only are the men in black robes there, and Serene's there, and Iodin is there, but as Serene is trying to run away, she looks around, and then Iandel is there and then she notices Diloph um, and then lastly she notices Royal whose wrinkled face smiled in relief as he pulled Serene to her feet and he get, and he says maybe next time you'll tell me what you're planning princess have a flirty vibe a little bit yeah a little bit do you think that's kind of Royal's just like natural persona though considering his you know state in life I think Serene I think she's kind of into him a little bit. Oh. I, I think she likes how he's into her. Yeah. I Yeah, I think so. He He's talking to her on a very, like, personal level. He doesn't feel like she's separate. Yeah. And I think she really likes that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also, like, puts her in her place in good ways of, like, when, yes. she, you know, whatever earlier in the chapter. He's like, mm-hmm. no, no. So, he so what did you oh go ahead I was gonna say so he does have some good qualities here yeah yeah so what do you what did you think about this whole scene when you read it oh my gosh I was so surprised it really threw me for a loop I I didn't believe it okay let me let me look through my notes because when I read this the first time I remember being like very surprised being like what's happening and like kind of confused about it all because I wasn't doing this deep analysis like we're doing. So I wasn't keeping track of the mysteries and the this and the that. So it didn't make a hundred percent sense to me the first time I read it. Yeah, I was, I was super surprised. Um, but it does answer. And I, I think we get this later in the chapter that this is where all the um, maid servants have been disappearing to is that mm-hmm. sacrificing them. So that is shocking and terrible. Um, and also seems like strangely, I was going to say out of character for Ian because he seems kind of like bumbling, like yeah. not very smart and he's dangerous in the sense that he is kind of greedy and doesn't make great decisions, but I didn't take him to be like the violent type. 
you know so this seemed like very it felt kind of out of the blue it did feel out of the blue and I was kind of like who who introduced him to this how did he get here right right like yeah yeah with Iodin's character I think we just get giant jumps from one thing to the next to where he's like Mm -hmm. suddenly crying and he's crumpled on the floor and I'll yeah. suddenly he's doing mysteries. And you're like, what? <laughs> so we don't get a lot of the in-between things for him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I did have a prediction here that okay. maybe he's doing these mysteries. Um, he's like asking for something, right? I think Serene says that later, like he's doing this big sacrifice if he has like a big request or something. And mm-hmm. Maybe his request was to destroy Serene. That was a thought I had. Um, and maybe these sacrifices are also somehow tied in with how Rayodin um, became an Elantrian. And I'm mm. wondering, could there even be some sort of connection like how Harathan was able to order this potion to become an Elantrian? Maybe there's some other way you can also actually become an Elantrian. Mm-hmm. And whoever introduced um Iodin to these mysteries maybe royal I don't know um mm-hmm. it's like hey do this thing and this will happen because of the gods but actually it's that character who's making it happen behind the scenes mm, interesting so in the next segment of the chapter we do find out that Iodon was sacrificing the women to try to hurt serene um it does say serene says well at least now we know what happened to the maids and cooks who disappeared from the palace and then royal says i guess he'd been involved with the mysteries for a long time perhaps even since the rayon oh serene said the mysteries sometimes involve sacrifices iodin must have wanted something very badly uh, he seemed to think the king was petitioning the Jesker spirits to destroy someone for him. Oh, me, Serene asked? Okay, so that wasn't my own thought. The book said. Maybe it's because he <laughs> wants to destroy Serene. Yeah, I think... I thought there was somewhere that was even more explicit than that, but maybe that's just what it was. Um. Oh, because Royal nodded. And then the Art of Diloth said the instructions were written on the altar in that woman's blood. Yeah, so I, I took the I took away from this that it was very, to me, it felt like obvious that Iodon was like trying to get rid of Serene. And so he was using all of these women as sacrifices, trying to do kind of like voodoo magic to hurt her in some way. Okay. Okay, so we find out that we think that Aiden was doing all these sacrifices in order to hurt Serene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and potentially this was also related to Rayodin earlier. We don't know. Yeah. it's So it's possible, yeah, that he started with... It's possible because Royal says he might have been doing this since... Even since the Riyadh. So what if he start... Because he always hated Elantris. Oh, so he brought in their downfall, maybe. What if he did? Whoa, I didn't had a front like Serene had a front. Yeah. No one thought this would, something uh-huh. so clever would come from him. So it's possible that he was doing this for a long time. And if you're doing something for a long time, my takeaway is that 
it works, whether it's coincidence or it's real. Okay. Right. So my, my assessment is that he's probably been doing some of this like dark magic type of thing for a long time and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but there was probably some coincidences at a minimum where he's like, I've been wishing the downfall of Elantris for a long time so that I can take over. And then Elantris falls and he's like, wow, amazing. And then maybe he's like, I'm hoping my son goes away because he's really trying to, you know, get one over on me. And maybe it was going to happen anyway, but it just coincidentally happened. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that could be it. I, yeah. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder if we're going to learn more about this. I don't know. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Interesting. Okay, but this definitely really took a turn. Um, Mm -hmm. I was surprised. Oh, and also, you already said um, that Diloph was there, and Serene was like, who let Diloph in? And Moyle was like, "Uh, he was following us, and we were in such a hurry that I couldn't, like, figure out a way to make him leave, Mm -hmm. which is very believable, but also, I'm still suspicious of Royal, so I don't know about that. Um, but Diloph mm-hmm. makes his way in. And so now, and Diloph was there. And I forget, I think it says he looked very satisfied or something. Oh, oh, Diloph didn't join the fighting, but he stood to the side with a fascinated look on his face. So I feel like Diloph is just like, wow, I have so many tools in my arsenal now to destroy this place. Yeah. So with Diloph, he he doesn't realize that Harathan drank that potion. Right. So for Diloph, I think it was just very like happenstance where he's like, ugh, this Jorn is like really bothering me. And then he disappears. Yeah. And then he's like, fab. And then he's like, I'm going to go to the parties now and I'm going to wear the the red outfit. Because this is the first time we've heard of him coming to the party in the red outfit. That's true. That is significant. Yeah. So now he's at the party. And then he goes and he sees the king and then the king has just imploded. And now he's like, fab. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Diloph's like, everything is just falling into place for me. <laughs> yeah. Because at first, my kind of thought was that maybe Diloph kind of got the king in on the mysteries somehow. I, You know? Could be. I mean, honestly, it could still be that. That Diloph is fascinated because, like, look at where my plan took him. Yeah. And I, it's like Diloph hates Elantris. Iodon hates Elantris. Diloph seems like very conniving. I just, when I read this, I remember thinking that like, there's some, something's happening with Diloph and Iodon that we're not privy to at this yeah. point. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Because um, also Diloph just seems very well versed in, I think, a lot of religions. Mm-hmm. or at least he's very well versed in his religion and it's like very unexpected something like that so I could see that he also knows enough about the mysteries and about Jesker mm-hmm. to say to to like lead Iodin into this yeah and if he's from Arlon right next to Arlon was Duladel, which is where the Jesker mysteries popped up okay right so there's probably just some very like tribal knowledge just kind of passed around just from being neighbors yeah Yeah, familiarity there yeah 
Fascinating. So do you think that Iodon's sacrifices were working? I don't think so. Um, because if there is actually like a god in this book, I don't think um I don't think Sanderson would make him so that he actually responds to sacrifices like this. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's my thought. Yeah, that was kind of my thought too. Yeah. Okay, so now that we got through that big chapter, it only took us an hour. Um, the next chapter is only a page. So I think we'll get through that fast. That is true. That'll that'll all average out. Okay, so now we are in Harathan's chapter. And again, mm-hmm. it's called Aha, which means breath or air. Um, mm-hmm. And my summary is that Harathan is still praying. So he still looks like an Elantrian in Elantris. And he's been praying the whole time. Um, but now he's hungry because it's been three days. And so then he still has his moldy basket of like offering food. It hasn't gotten stolen yet. So then he like mm-hmm. shuffles over there and like eats through all the mold. And mm-hmm. then he sits back down and keeps on praying. And I think the biggest point is that um, Harathan, he, when he comes from his like praying stupor, he looks up and it's nighttime and there isn't even any moonlight. Yeah. So this is happening at the same time that everything else is happening with Serene's chapter. Right. And he gives some more insight because um, it says he hadn't realized that there'd be a lunar eclipse this night. He had stopped paying paying attention to such things since he left Duladel. That nation's now extinct pagan religion had ascribed special importance to the heavens movements and the mysteries often practiced their rituals on such nights. So he's kind of giving Mm -hmm. some more insight onto maybe why the king was doing such a big sacrifice tonight and how this is all like intersecting here yeah exactly yeah um but we we get some more insight too of um into harathan because he is looking at the um like the sky and he says i finally understood what had prodded the jeskers to regard nature with such religious wonder And he's still having this tension of, you know, there's these people who are worshiping nature. He's like, I don't agree with that. But also they have like such a feeling of awe and wonder. And maybe that's what I should have for God. And I don't have that. Mm -hmm. But then he says he was not a zealot. He would never be a man of extreme passion. In the end, he followed Dorothy because it made sense. That would have to be enough. And so I kind of took that that sentence is like Harathan was kind of having this inner turmoil with his religion and he's all logical based, not passion based. Is that okay? What does that mean? And after this experience of praying and being an Elantris for the past couple of days, he's kind of like, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And so he's kind of concluded this internal turmoil and now he's a hundred percent back on board. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of significant too, because he was having some questions and doubts of like, oh, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? And we see here, we see that shift. And then at the end of the chapter, um, after he's eaten, Harathan restarted his prayer and it says he would always continue as he always had doing his best to serve in Lord Jadid's empire. There is nothing else God could expect of him. So it's like all God needs is just that obedience, whether he has the emotion or not. Yeah. And I think the other part, so I highlighted the first part of that paragraph. 
So Harathan stared up with renewed resolve. He might like pa- he might lack passion, but he had an ample serving of determination. And then he restarted his prayer. And so basically my take on that was that he's making this big visible showing as if he does have all of this passion and determination. Mm-hmm. But really, he doesn't have any passion and he's only doing it for show. Yeah. Because he thinks that's what he's supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. So he's going to keep on doing it. He's going to keep on doing it. Yeah. This is like Harathan's little retreat center. Yes. Yes. Peace and quiet so much, you become an Elantrian. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Anything else on chapter 33? Nope. That's it. Wow. Shortest one yet. I know. The chapters start getting a lot shorter now. Yeah. I mean, things just keep happening. It's pretty wild. Yeah. We're starting to move fast. Um, So let's do chapter 34 summary. Okay. So chapter 34, we're in a new cycle of chapters. And so this this trilogy of chapters is called Ash, which means light or illumination is also the name of Serene's Eon. And we're back to Ryoden's perspective. Um, And here we... uh, see some shifts in power especially especially with Shior's gang which really just kind of takes a plunge um mm-hmm. and then Rayodin also finds out more about Elantris, Aendor, and Seans and at the very end we see Rayodin and Harathan intersecting a little bit and we see Harathan's plan develop mm-hmm. yep okay so that first part opens with um Ryoden looking at Shior's men and basically some of them have come and oh and the, I think in the last chapter he had given them food like the corn seeds mm-hmm. whatever and they couldn't eat it they had to cook it and so Ryoden's trying to like lead them back to humanity and rationality and some of the men have gotten it and they've started cooking and now they're kind of being restored back to their rational selves but he says that some men have just they're too far gone um that they're like beasts and that he's trying to restore their rational minds but they have surrendered their intellect and regardless of whether psychology or the door was to blame it would never return yes and basically those men have become very loyal to Rayodin because they were really loyal to Shayor because they thought she was the most powerful because she had her pretty dress and hair but now that Rayodin came in and was like, here's food and I can cook it for you. He's like, you're the most powerful. Yeah. So until someone takes over Rayodin's position, they're going to be eternally loyal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's some good lines here. Also, just a side note, we see some more like gruesome death here because Shayor's men come and they bring their peace offering of Shayor's wig and it's like stained with blood. And I was like, oh my gosh. And they yeah. found Shayor's body. Which. Is know. Shayor alive or dead? She's dead and they ate her. Oh. <laughs> interesting. You know, oh, so I didn't even think she'd be alive. That's well, so fantasy trope is that no one's ever dead. Yeah, okay. That that makes sense. And also fantasy trope. It's like, unless you see them dead, and even then, it's not 100%. <laughs> Especially in Elantris, I guess. They, they don't yeah. really 
unless she went to the pool exactly so okay so actually maybe she's still alive and they didn't eat her um i think them eating her would make the most sense i kind of thought so too because his people never found shayor's body because at first i was like that meant because she's still alive but i think it makes more sense that they ate her that was my thought Mm -hmm. i don't know it made sense um but we also get this line uh, when he's thinking about like how they're now so loyal to him and have completely left Shayor. Uh, he says to their simple degenerate minds, there was only one thing to do when faced by, by a God more powerful than their own convert. And I thought that was interesting because we see a lot of conversions happening in the book. And also, is that just what people are doing in Aralon too? Uh, when they see someone like Harath and Ardilaf, they're like, all right, sure. I'll follow this. And maybe mm-hmm. are not that different from Shayor's men. Um, I think that's a good analogy. And I think a lot of times people imagine that we are so much more sophisticated than animals because you're like, oh, we can think and we can do this and da 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 But at our core, at our core, I feel like we are much more similar to animals than we would like to acknowledge. So I could see this idea where you're like, oh, they're going to this new religion because like they're hearing it and it's making more sense and blah, 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 blah. But really what it is, is that before they were like, oh, Iodon's the king. This is what he says is good. So I think it's good. And then you see this other guy and you're like, well, maybe he's more powerful. Maybe I'm going to like go to what he's doing. Right. And we dress it up by saying it's, all these other reasons, but at its core, it's the same as those Shaor's degenerate men. Yeah. We're just like, I'm going to go along with that. Yeah. Um. So this is a line that I highlighted shortly after. Um, they, Shaor's men, now did exactly as Rayodin said in all things in turn he had rewarded them with morsels of food just as one would a favored pet it disturbed him using men like beasts and then it goes on to say how he tried to restore their minds but it just seemed impossible yeah i know that that was sad um especially since that was Rayodin's whole goal in new Eleantris was like people rediscover their purpose and raise them up from being like beasts um but that is interesting to think that like okay if you've like committed to something or said yes to a certain decision for so long eventually maybe sometimes is it irreversible and that just becomes who you are Mm -hmm. yeah and then i'm i'm pointing this out because i think it's a parallel to the second part of the chapter so it says they were remarkably well behaved docile even the pain didn't seem to affect them, and they performed any duty, no matter how menial or laborious. If Rayodin told them to push on a building until it fell over, he would return days later to find them still standing against the same wall, their palms pressed against the belligerent stone. Yet despite their apparent obedience, Rayodin didn't trust them. Okay, whatever. Um, but I just want to highlight that they just kind of follow any task given. Oh, do you think, is Harathan gonna... He's going to be their new leader. Is that what's going to No, happen? when we get to the second half of the chapter, I'll tell you. Oh, okay. I don't, remember. I don't remember how that ties in. 
Okay. So yeah, so you see that. Um, we also they're also called Kayana by Galadin, which means the insane. Mm -hmm. so it is kind of interesting because we have the Navy insane um in like the ICU of Elantris, where it's like they're just too in pain and they're mm -hmm. you know like fixating on like the pain or the food or whatever and that's kind of like people who have gone insane but this is a different kind of insane of i guess they're just numb to everything yes and i don't know it's just interesting mm -hmm. yeah and so the second half we're seeing the rayodin he's really suffering from all of the his fits basically with his pain and he's trying to really press upon Galadin and Karata like all of his knowledge on the Aeons because he's like I'm gonna disappear soon right right so he's trying to yeah yeah he's trying to pass on all of his knowledge so that they can carry it on mm -hmm. and then we find out from Rayodin that the reason why Elantrian bodies glowed is because it was like the door kind of like pushing on them and then when they drew the aeons it would release the door oh right right which kind of goes along with what he was learning last time that the 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 hole for the door to go through isn't the right size or mm -hmm. shape so the yeah. door's trying to get through but it can't um so he's trying to find the right shape we also and this is the connection to the chapter title is that he says the key element is aeon ash which means light um mm. and so all of elantris is glowing the elantrians mm -hmm. are glowing their aeons are glowing and even the city glows um and we learn that the reason everything is so moldy and slimy now is that back in the day in the heyday of elantris um it was all shiny because of this little bacteria i guess that was like a thin film over everything Mm -hmm. And with the um, door power, it would glow. But now that the door has left, now the they've just like decomposed. Now it's all moldy and slimy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's and I think that kind of goes back to um, Sanderson and kind of his background of being very scientific when he's talking about things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is just like another clue for Rayodin to figure out what happened to Elantris. How did they get here? How can mm -hmm. they? So I'm not seeing the part that. Okay, here we go. So at the very end, so after they identify the slime, then they're talking about the seance. Mm-hmm. And Rayodin's kind of complaining about the books, how they really don't give a lot of good information. He says the scholars who wrote them could be frustratingly obscure. It takes a great deal of studying to find answers to specific questions, such as Karada asks. Well, for one thing, I haven't found a single book that mentions how to make seons. Okay. Rayodin shook his head. I always assumed that seons were created by I endure, but if so, the books don't explain how. A lot of them talk about the passing of famous seons from one person to another, but that's about it. So then Rayodin goes into how you give a seon from one person to the next. And then that seon becomes their loyal servant. 
And all they like to do is follow the orders of whoever that their new owner is. Oh. And then they say, well, what if the owner dies and they didn't pass it on to someone? We don't know what happens in that case. Um, and then, so Rayodin says, I don't know what would happen if the Sion wasn't gifted before the person passed. I guess it would just choose its next master on its own. And if it didn't want to, Karada asked, I don't think it would have a choice, Rayodin said. There's something about Sions and their masters. They're bonded somehow. Sion's gone mad when their masters are taken by the Shayod, for instance. I think they were created to serve. It's part of their magic. Oh. So I was kind of thinking about them versus Shayor's men, and it kind of seemed like there's some parallel happening here. Yeah. Oh, do you have another thing? So we never find out where what happens, how the Sions are made. So my thought is, I wonder if when you go into the pool. Yeah. Do you become a Sion? That was my thought when you were reading that. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Are all Elantrians so loyal though? I think what happens to you is it strips, you don't remember who you were. Oh. And it just strips you down to where all you want to do is just listen to whoever it is that's your leader. Yeah. And you go from one leader to the next leader. Interesting. So why are Shior's men already in that state? So my take on that is just to show that at your core, your most, like if you strip down a lot of like your quote unquote humanistic characteristics, your human characteristics, that you become this kind of primitive version of yourself where it's like all you want to do is just listen to what the leader says oh interesting and so like with the seons it's like they do have a level of mm, cognitive ability they're able to think they're able to remember they're able to reason but if serene asks her seon to go investigate elantris he investigates right interesting Hmm. So that's interesting because I feel like I think of the seans as like kind of this higher power or like higher beings in a sense and mm-hmm. more so like, like, you know, we're so stripped of any physical needs that we can just focus on what we're meant to do, which is like to serve people. Mm-hmm. I guess I was thinking of it as maybe in a, I don't know if it's a better light. I don't know. Like maybe you go into the pool and you're stripped of all of your human needs and then you're able to just be like this best version of yourself. Yeah, something like that. And like you're just so content with life and everything's great. Yeah. Well, we never find out. So it it could be. But I do think that there's connection between Elantrians, pools, and the Seons. But we never find out. I think so too. Man, that's, that's kind of surprising we never find out because I think this pool theory is really good. Yeah. But I just, I really did feel like there was a parallel between Shayor's men and the Seons and how they kind of bookended the chapter. Yeah, I think you're right. I didn't notice that. I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. Chapter 35. Is that a short one or is it a long one? Oh. Okay. So the very end of this whole thing um, is that this messenger, Dash, 
which includes the Seon Ash in his name. Mm-hmm. He comes running in and he's like, you won't believe what just happened. And Ryoden's like, what happened? And Dash says, it's the Giorn, my lord. He's been healed. So now we see Harathin, his evil little plan worked and he was in fact healed of the um, what's it called? Uh, Shayad. The Shay- Shayad. Riyad. Rayad. I think it's the Rayad. Rayad. Yeah. Shayad is when you ultimately go. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Either way, he's not. Whatever. He needs to be healed. He's not a Lantrian anymore. Not a Lantrian anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's the big thing that happened here. And so now we've confirmed this is what Hrathen's potion does. Right. Which is what After- we thought. Yeah, so after about eight to ten hours of ingesting it, then you develop these Elantrian-like symptoms. You have it for a few days, and then it goes away. Yeah. And we know that Harathan has several vials of it when he ordered it. I forgot he had several. Mm -hmm. I thought it was... I, I didn't think about that. He had, like, a few. He ordered, like, a few from the potion master. Buy two, get one free. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we're going to have time to get through chapter 36 because it's a serene chapter and always a lot too happens. much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll leave her chapter for next time. Okay. Well, I think that's it for today. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts thus far? Um, things definitely picked up. There are lots of surprises. The sacrifice really threw me for a loop. Um, Let's think. Um, I think Royal is a royal spy. <laughs> so, <laughs> still like Rayodin. Think he's cool. I think he's gonna figure out some good secrets soon, and he's gonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but- we we see that Rayodin's definitely coming to a breaking point. Where either he figures this out, or he's not gonna make it. And those are the options. Yeah, but I believe in him. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, this has been awesome. So we'll talk next time. Hopefully we'll get to chapter 40. Probably not, but we'll try. We'll do our best. (laughs) Try our best. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bookalicious. If you like this discussion, please rate or subscribe to our channel to help other book lovers find this content as well. If you have any questions or suggestions for future books, we'd love to hear from you at bookalicious.pod at gmail.com. As always, thanks for joining our club.